Hello, you're listening to Chickens Can't See Cubes, the podcast all about 100% true facts that are not made up. I'm your host, Piper Dawes, and joining me is Christopher Parr, director of the Munchausen Institute for Totally Real Research. Hi, Chris. Hello. It's good to be back. Hooray! Yes, it's the difficult second episode. Yes. It's the Robocop 2 of uh, Chickens Can't See Cubes. That's true. Chris, it's great to have you back for another episode. Now the pubs are opening, people are starting to venture out into the real world again. I'm almost surprised you have time for us. Um, What's the Institute been up to this week? Well, first of all, pursuant to our discussion about chickens last week. Pursuant? Yes, um, it means following on from. Read a book. Thank you, I'll take that under advisement. (laughs) (laughs) Further research has revealed that uh, chickens can see the rapper and actor Ice Cube. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) Of all the things I thought you were going to say, that was... Oh, dear. (laughs) Sorry, I just really wasn't expecting that. So, chickens, chickens can see... Ice cube, but not cubes. Ice cube isn't actually cube-shaped, though. Am I right? Uh, Yes, that's true, but we thought it best to cover every angle here. We also screened the uh, Canadian horror film The Cube for the chickens, and they were able to see that except for scenes which featured actual cubes. Oh, okay. Do you know if the film made sense to them without being able to see the cubes? Uh, well, it's um, hard to get coherent film criticism from chickens. They're not exactly Mark Commode. Um, so is that, is, that, is that all you've been doing this week? Well, um, as you say, the lockdown is being eased, but uh, we at the Institute feel it's not quite the right time to be venturing outside. So um, we've been upgrading our internet connection this week um, in order to do more research and reach more people. And I'm now very proud to say we have a blindingly fast 256 kps modem. Loads of JPEG in just under 10 minutes. It's staggering. Oh, great. What provider did you go with in the end? We're with um, our old provider, AOL. Well, it stands the test of time. It does. They keep trying to uh, stop our, our service, saying some nonsense about they're not even providing internet service anymore, but we just keep blanking their calls. Okay, well, I'm glad it's working for you. When you say blindingly fast, do you mean that when you turned it on... There was a massive spark, and there was a small fire as well. Well, I mean, these, these, are the, uh, these are the lengths we have to go to to make sure that you are hurtling into the 21st century and... Hurtling down the information superhighway in a car made of JPEGs. Great. Well, it's, it's great to have you back, Chris, and I'm very pleased to report that we've got another four facts from you today. So that brings us round to our first fact of the second episode of Chickens Can't See Cubes, which is Chris. So a small town in America once accidentally elected a bird as their mayor. So just for some background to this fact... <laughs> There's actually a long history of non-human political leaders, particularly in America. Usually they're elected on purpose, sometimes as a sort of joke, if you will. 
for instance, a small town in Kentucky has for its entire existence exclusively elected dogs as their mayor. Yes. And just last year, a three-year-old Nubian goat named Lincoln was elected mayor of Fairhaven in Vermont, defeating a Samiad dog named Sammy by two votes. And, of course, in 1993, a pog milk cap from the popular game of the 90s was made a council official in Bedford, Minnesota. Now... I don't want to politicise the podcast by suggesting they might do a better job than their human counterparts, but for some reason, this does seem to be a proud tradition. However, there's no other instance of a bird becoming mayor, and it's especially rare for an animal to be elected by accident. How did this happen, Chris? So, in the small town of Belinda, Indiana, in 1963, a one Mr Harvey Bird was running for mayor, there was a misprint on the voting ballot which omitted his first name, and so he was just listed as Bird. OK, so presumably what you're saying is he won, but why was he not instated? So as you say, Bird won the election. It's not known whether uh, the people who voted for him knew they were voting for Harvey Bird, or if for some reason they did actually believe they were voting for an avian dinosaur. But um, yes, yeah, so uh, Bird won the election. However, a town bylaw um, interpreted by the town's council stated that Harvey Bird had not won the election and that the winner had to be an actual bird. Well, so they just found a bird and made it mayor? So they took the first bird they spotted, which happened to be a finch sat in a tree outside the council chambers, and declared uh, that mayor. So did the original candidate ever get his opportunity? Two weeks later, uh, the decision was overturned by a county judge and Harvey Bird was instated as mayor. Oh, so essentially it was a misprint. They messed up, but they discovered that a bylaw meant that they had to stick to their screw-up. Um, yeah, the named candidate had to be elected mayor and the named candidate was a bird, as interpreted by the, the council, yes. Yeah, I see, I see. So this finch, this bird, did it manage to get much done during its two weeks in office? Well, there was a slight economic impact as the seed budget of the town went up by about $20 from $0. What, because the bird was elected? Well, it's an interesting story, actually. They were unable to actually get the bird into the actual physical offices. The seed was purchased as a way of trying to entice the bird into its office. Mm. And it's unknown if the bird was fleeing from its would-be captors on instinct or if it was actively avoiding political responsibility. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, you never know with birds. I mean, as we've seen with chickens, they're very hard to read. Yeah, that's true. Uh, side note, um, do you know if, uh, if finches can see cubes? <laughs> Ah, uh, we haven't tested uh, Finches yet. We're pretty sure David Fincher can see cubes, because I think I've seen some in his films. Can you just tell me who David Fincher is? <laughs> um, he is a director who made uh, Fight Club, oh. uh, Social Network, uh, Seven, Alien Cubed. Alien Cubed? Yeah, Alien 3, but it has the three is like uh, superimposed, so I've always called it Alien Cubed. No, I feel like that's proof in itself. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I literally, <laughs> I'm only just discovering this in, this information, so I really can't riff on that at all. But <laughs> cool. 
Um, <laughs> well, that's really, uh, really fascinating. So, um, so essentially, it was very hard to actually get the bird even into the municipal building, let alone passing any laws or making any sort of positive change in the city of Belinda. So that was that was it then, essentially. So it was this just two week period. They tried. The bird wasn't playing ball. And then so what did they just wait two weeks or did they just go, actually, you know what, we can we can probably we can probably just get the person the, the human being back and actually stop this stupid charade. Um, it does seem they spent the entire two weeks trying to get the bird into its office. And one of the townspeople actually fashioned a very, very small mayoral belt, which they attempted to place on the finch and got a nasty peck on the hand for their efforts. So, so the, the reason this bird actually got elected and managed to get through this two two week term, um, despite not actually getting much done, is because of a a, a bylaw essentially in the um, in the city of Belinda. Do you know of any any other strange bylaws in Belinda or otherwise? It seems to be just the usual antiquated laws that were never officially rescinded. The usual stuff like women can't own pens, women seen reading are to be flogged, unmarried women over the age of uh, 25 are to be raffled off to prospective husbands on Founders Day, the usual stuff. I mean, as we all know, yeah. Americans hate women. Yes, yeah, absolutely, yeah. So do you think this is the most responsibility that a bird's ever had? I'd say politically it might be. I mean, the rumours of the Penguin King of Antarctica have yet to be confirmed. I've heard about this. What do we know? Just very vague eyewitness accounts of a giant ice palace at the South Pole and some kind of giant crowned penguin lording it over the other penguins. It sounds like a Disney movie in the making, to be honest. Should we see if we can get there first? Um, if you want to go to the South Pole, you can, Piper. I'll stay here where it's warm. Uh, okay, so uh, let's move on to fact two. Um, I just had, like, another thing about birds and responsibility. Okay. Yeah, so uh, politically it might be the most, but um, I think in the general terms, I think Big Bird has quite a lot of responsibility. As in uh, Big Bird, who resides in uh, Sesame Street. Uh, yes. I mean, uh, given the failings of the American education system, he is basically responsible for the education of millions of American children. Yeah, I, su I suppose probably a, a Penguin King in Antarctica probably doesn't have that much responsibility, so I completely understand what you're saying, actually. Well, it depends on whether it's uh, the kind of monarchy we have here, where the monarch is basically a figurehead, or if it's more of a feudal monarch, in which case the Penguin King might actually have, you know, entire total authority over his domain of the South Pole. But that does suggest that if it's not a feudal monarchy and it's a figurehead, then that does suggest that there is a penguin prime minister, which I feel like... A penguin parliament. A penguin parliament, exactly. Which is, I'm sure you'll agree, extremely funny. Um, I think it depends what their policies are, to be honest. What, uh, what, what policies do you think that... Uh... <laughs> I imagine they'd be very concerned with fisheries. Yeah, it does make sense, actually. So let's move on to 
fact number two of this episode. What have you got, Chris? Yes, so uh, recently on Earth texts speak of a Roman god, um, hitherto unknown, called Digitarius, who appears to have been the Roman god of finger puppets. Well, actual finger puppets? Actual pieces of felt you put on your fingers and make do little dances. Okay, so this is the god of actual finger puppets, like the ones you can buy in shops. Uh, well, not the ones you can buy in shops now, because, you know, this was, you know, 1,500 years ago or 1,000 years ago. Okay, so, it's, so it's, it's the ones you could buy in, like, whatever equivalent they had for the 99p store. In Roman shops, yeah. Yeah. So who specifically was Digitarius? The texts describe him as a human figure with a finger for every type of creature in the world. So hundreds and hundreds of, of fingers, presumably. What, like ev- every single creature in the whole world? Yes. So, you know, dogs, camels, uh, butterflies, accountants. What, even uh, like kangaroos? Uh, well, I mean, he was a god, so he might have known about kangaroos, even if the Romans themselves didn't. Mongoose? Yep, that's another creature. That is another What about hippos? Hippos are also creatures. Can I just request right now, Piper, that we don't spend the next hour just you saying the names of animals and me going, yes. Yes, that's fine. You can request that. That's that's okay. I will just scroll down the list and just go past that. That's fine. Well, even hippos. No, sorry. Um, so how... <laughs> So how did they celebrate Digitarius? Were there like, any mad traditions? Did people sacrifice their fingers to the gods or something? Well, it's interesting you should mention sacrificing fingers because there was a tradition of a subpar performances being met with harsh punishments by the Finger Puppet Guild, including the severing of fingers. Cool. Uh, but um, public finger puppet displays were traditionally dedicated to uh, Digitarius, although it's unsure whether uh, private shows in people's own homes were dedicated in the same way. Okay. If somebody doing a, a sexy finger puppet show for their wife had to dedicate it first. Yeah, so we don't know about that. There's no actual historic accounts of the sexy finger puppet There's shows. no historical record of erotic finger puppet shows, no. So that's all speculation on your part? Entirely on my part in my own personal diary. Okay, I'm sure that's a great, thrilling read. (laughs) So all Roman gods traditionally have some sort of moralistic story. What's what's Digitarius' story? So we don't know much about his origin or his relationship to other gods. There is one story mentioned in the text I've been unearthed of a finger puppet show which so displeased Digitarius in its ineptitude that the god used his his godly powers to actually cause the finger puppets to come alive and devour the offending puppeteer alive. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, that's very exciting. Now now that you've come out and said about this and that we know about the uh, the story of, of Digitarius, do you think that there's a potential for some sort of Hollywood movie? I wouldn't want to speculate on that. Um, it's a shame this wasn't known back in the days of a like Clash of the Titans, because I'd have loved to have seen some kind of Ray Harryhausen finger puppet show. Oh, we all would. We all would. Um, do does the uh, Munchausen Institute have um, a, a, a film budget at all? We barely have a budget to buy cubes uh, for chickens to try and walk into. So, um, is that a no? 
<laughs> That's a no, yes. <laughs> okay. Maybe we could start a crowdfunder. Kickstart the uh, finger puppet movie. Yeah. From DreamWorks Animation. It sounds like, yeah, it does sound like a DreamWorks one, doesn't it? With Nicolas Cage voicing every finger puppet. I'd pay. I'd, <laughs> I'd go and see that. I would. I would. Um, <laughs> so this is the first mention of Digitarius. Is the story that you mentioned all we know about him so far? So the information I've shared with you today, um, it's the most complete information we have on Digitarius. The text, there are like other fragments of information, but it's not enough to really go on. It seems he might have had, for whatever reason, a deep hatred of left-handed people. And it seems there could have been some an entire, you might say, sub-pantheon of uh, performing arts gods, of which Digitarius was essentially at the bottom of, which could account for his rather belligerent nature in, you know, turning finger puppets alive and making them eat people. Oh, wow. So so potentially there could have been a whole pantheon of gods who were um, uh, like like the god of improv. Yes, and? <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> You're not actually supposed to say yes, and? <laughs> Just sounds like you've got fucking improv Tourette's. Yes, and? Okay. okay somehow you're making it sound like an insult (laughs) yeah and (laughs) what what else would there be there's the god god of improv the god of uh, contemporary dance um the god of mime the god of mime i'm the god of mime are you it was me all along (laughs) Um, in uh, in researching this fact, I discovered that you can actually buy finger puppets of all the Roman gods, except for Digitarius. Um, so, I mean, this uh, glaring historical inaccuracy clearly needs rectifying. Although a finger puppet of the god of finger puppets might create some kind of existential space-time crisis in which the entirety of reality collapses in on itself and becomes one giant finger puppet on the hand of God. Is this um, that speculation that we talked about, Chris? <laughs> yes. Well... <laughs> yes, and? <laughs> it appears whatever I say to you before an episode comes back to bite me in the ass. Uh... <laughs> Well, what uh, I know, I know that that sounds sounds bad now. But um, I've started a campaign to have the gods of finger, god of finger puppets take his rightful place in the finger puppet gods collection. Okay, well, I mean, any damage to the space time continuum is entirely on your head, Piper. I wash my hands of this. Well, to be honest, I think um, whatever happens, it's important that we cover it in the podcast. Yes, as reality collapses around us, we'll be here recording our podcast. <laughs> Nothing shall stop us every week, yeah. every single week, without fail. <laughs> we will, like, I have no doubt, have an update on this in the forthcoming episode, whatever that may be. I might be dead. Um, but perhaps in the meantime, the listener at home might want to construct their own digitarius finger puppet. I, I assume, Chris, we have no idea what he'd look like, so... Well, I did just describe him as a, a human figure with 
a finger for every animal. Yeah, all right, yeah, okay. That's obviously his most distinguishing feature. But um, we don't know what sort of face he had. We don't know what race he was. We don't know if he had curly hair, if he had long hair, if he had dreadlocks. I don't know. Just use your imaginations at home. We'd love to see what you, what sort of, what sort of thing you come up with. Um, answers on a postcard. <laughs> 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 and of course, of course, your historically accurate finger puppet shows. We'd love to see those. Yes, we would. Especially your erotic ones. Erotic finger puppet shows. Well, I'm just doing the audience participation thing. That's what that's what popular podcasts do. Yay. Well, it's really good to have the Munchausen Institute <laughs> on side with that. Thank you. Chris, have you ever owned finger puppets? It's funny you should ask. So when I was a child, I didn't have very many friends. And to kind of like uh, give myself some company I once fashioned finger puppets of the entire cast of the ITV children's soap opera Biker Grove (laughs) (laughs) UK (laughs) yeah I'm fine (laughs) just stop sending me careful (laughs) give me a moment alright I'm just breathing right (laughs) So you made finger puppets of all of the characters from Biker Grave? Uh, yes, I did. Including the famous characters played by, um, who was then known as uh, PJ and Duncan. Oh, yeah. Now, of course, known as... Anton Deck. Yes. Were you waiting for me then? I was, just... I was actually, yeah. I thought it would be better if you thought it might be more snappy. Yeah, if I hadn't waited for ages. <laughs> um, all right, so have you still got them? Uh, no, um, uh, they were lost in a, a fire. In a fire? was Yes, a mysterious fire that, now that I think about it, might have been set by Dishitarius himself in anger at my rather incompetent reenactments of episodes of Biker Grove. Well, it's very rare that you actually see finger puppets these days. I wonder if people are just terrible. And, like, you know, people can't really... People aren't very good at actually the art of finger puppetry, the lost art of finger puppetry. I think it's. I think that maybe maybe Digitarius is, is disappointed, which is, which is why there's all the more reason for, for, for our listeners to, to send in their finger puppet shows. And... It, this is essentially. I may be starting a cult here, Chris. I, <laughs> sorry, um, <laughs> but um, no, I've just kind of realised that I am. So, um, well, you guys know my Twitter handle. Let's do this. I feel like it's a it's a fun thing to do. It's the second episode. We've gone rogue. <laughs> yeah, we've become the Finger Puppet Podcast. The Finger Puppet Podcast. <laughs> Um, so, uh, I mean, I know you don't have your Biker Grove finger puppets anymore, Chris, but I've got my Poundland finger puppets from the Roman Empire. Do you want to have a little socially distant get-together sometime and put on a little finger puppet show? Um, I would love to see one of your finger puppet shows, Piper. That sounds a little bit mucky. Oh, I'm being completely serious. Oh. It sounds like a wonderful night in. Again, again, that sounded sarcastic. I mean, now that the theatres are going out of business... Your finger puppet shows might be the only entertainment we ever see again. So that brings us on to fact three. Um, 
Chris, perhaps you'd like to tell us about the third fact because that's the reason you're here. <laughs> yes, that's how the show works. So in 1993, Manchester City Football Club became the first and only football club to have a ghost on its squad. Well, so there's actually a, a ghost on on the team. An actual ghost was on the team in an actual game of actual foot, actual ball. Right, how did that happen then? On Halloween of 1992, several Manchester City players, uh, for a laugh, messed about with a Ouija board in the main road locker rooms. So at first they didn't think they'd summoned anything or managed to contact any spirits or dead people. However, over the next few weeks, several strange occurrences at training sessions and during matches, convinced the team that something had actually come through. So Manchester City Football Club, the players, what, they got They got drunk one night and just decided, let's mess around with the Ouija board? Yeah, yeah. We've all done it. <laughs> so what were these strange occurrences? It started off with small things like uh, balls going missing from the, the, the ball box, the place where they keep the balls. Players' shorts were mysteriously being pulled down during training sessions and snickering could be heard from uh, somewhere in the vicinity. So do we think this was a fan or a player or potentially a 1980s comedian? Well, I mean, it's hard to say. Uh, One theory is that uh, whatever the spirit might have been, it could have been summoned by uh, rival team Manchester United as a way of sabotaging. Manchester City. So for the listener at home, Manchester United is the rival team of Manchester City. I think that was clear from what I just said. It was. <laughs> clear only, only, only as in you use the same words. <laughs> yes. In a slightly different order. So what? So, so, so all these sort of silly things started happening, obviously. And whatever restless spirit this was, whether it was a supporter of Manchester City or even an old player, this was obviously an inconvenience to the ongoing, whatever it is footballers do, football. Um, I think it's kicking mainly. Kicking. Yeah, that, I think they're known for kicking. So what did they do about it? Well, I mean, as any reasonable person would when balls start going missing, uh, they bought in a medium. Okay. Who was able to discern that uh, the spirit would only leave if it were allowed to play in an actual football match on the Manchester City team. Oh, and did it? Uh, yes, the team's next match was against another football team, uh, Chelsea, which is in London. I can report that Chelsea is in London. Yeah, um, the ghost was... But Man- Manchester City isn't. And uh, Manchester City, funnily enough, is in Manchester. Fun fact. I'm not really a football fan, but <laughs> but I'll take your word for it. Yeah, um, uh, so the ghost was bought in second half. It actually managed to score a goal in the 87th minute... But it was disallowed because the ghost was offside. Well, that seems grossly unfair. Well, them's the brakes. <laughs> them's the brakes. I, I literally don't understand the offside rule, so I was trying to work out something fun to say. But um, I did have someone explain it to me once. It's something to do with if the player is approaching the goal 
and they had cornflakes for breakfast and their granddad's name began with the letter P, then as long as the ref hasn't stepped on any cracks that day, the player's offside. Right, okay. It's very simple, Piper. Yeah, but it is it is very simple. But but if we're talking in terms of a ghost, which arguably doesn't exist at all, this feels really unfair to actually enforce uh, such a complex set of rules. But, well, it seems the ghost felt the same way. While most people agree that the ghost passed beyond the veil once again after the match was over, some say on dark and stormy nights you can still hear it. The faint shout of... That ref's a fucking wanker. Well, so I I looked into this because, like, that's what I have to do because I'm the podcast presenter. <laughs> it's my only job. I don't have any friends. I should make some finger puppets. Oh, I love finger puppets. <laughs> this is my new thing now. <laughs> anyway, um, let's don't get me on to finger puppets again. <laughs> we'll get like... <laughs> back to fact number three, the never-ending third fact. <laughs> oh, no, hold on. This is fact three. It was fact two, wasn't it? The never-ending second fact. There you go. You can edit that together. We are 50 minutes and we are basically halfway through. This is awesome. God, this is going to take me so long to edit. Sorry. <laughs> so, so I, um, I looked into this and I found that Manchester City aren't fond of this fact at all. And they frequently deny it. They even managed to dissuade most haunted from airing their episode about it oh wow but i yeah but i but i did find an excerpt of it online and uh, they found some interesting things during the night they spent at the stadium Mm -hmm. so derek akora discovered that the ghost has a scouse accent oh the plot thickens Mm -hmm. whilst Yvette Fielding worked out that once again, ghosts are in fact scary. That's some sterling research from Yvette there. Yeah. Obviously, they don't like talking about that. Like Manchester City, that's a clip that they're trying to get off, off the air. So that they, don't, they don't like this, this absolute clear fact that's definitely true from getting out. I didn't make it up, honestly. No, exactly. I mean, hence hence the tagline of the show. <laughs> so obviously this ghost wasn't around very long, but it seems like that there was like a, a bit of a connection with Man City. So do we know who the ghost was in real life? I mean, perhaps if that Derek Akora thing was available, we might be able to find out. Yeah, I only got like a, a 10 minute clip. Yeah, seeing as uh, Man City have been suppressing... All of this, it's it's difficult to get any real information about who the ghost might have been. And maybe it wasn't even um, like a dead person. It was just a, a general spirit from beyond that had a penchant for the football. Yeah, I mean that's possible. That's that's entirely possible. Maybe it was a, a maybe it was a prankster. Just a just some prankster. Doesn't even like football. Just wanted to have a bit of a good time. Chris, yes. Do you believe in ghosts? Of course I believe in ghosts, Piper. Look at all the totally valid evidence for them. I mean, have you been on YouTube? Um, I have. There are literally thousands of videos 
of paranormal activity on YouTube. And as we all know, Piper, it's impossible to fake a video. It is. It is. Um, Everything recorded by a camera must have actually happened. Yeah, no, absolutely. Of course. And uh, to being a, 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 a research institute that's just gained access to the Internet. I'm sure you're very excited about creating your own YouTube videos of totally genuine, real things that cannot possibly be disproved because once it's on video, it is complete fact. Exactly. Um, On a related note, Hmm. we did a movie night recently and we watched Jurassic Park. Oh, right. And I'm really surprised that the events there have been suppressed as well as they have. I mean, I'd have thought an event as huge as that would have been headline news back in 1993. Well, this is very interesting because part of your, I think, uh, and I know the Mount Charleston Institute actually has psychotherapists to deal with this sort of thing. Um, but like part of your whole role in the Mount Charleston Institute is is realising that things are covered up. I get call, phone calls from you all the time telling me so-and-so fact is a real thing and no what nobody knows nobody knows these things and what what we're doing here is we're pioneering and i'm very excited by the fact that this podcast exists i too am very excited so that brings us around to our final fact of the show um why don't you tell us a bit about this one chris uh yes in fact i'll tell you all about it piper would you i would so despite Starring in a television show called Bones, Hollywood actor David Boreanaz, technically speaking, has no bones. Okay, so Bones, for the listener at home, is a crime procedural drama starring Emily Deschanel and David Boreanaz. So Deschanel's character is a forensic anthropologist and assists the FBI in solving cases. The stories regularly feature bones and skeletons as major plot points. So this is a massive surprise to me because I'm actually quite a fan of Bones. I quite enjoy the series. So David Boreanaz has no Bones at all. So was he propped up constantly to do his scenes? How does this work? No, um, you see, he has a skeleton, uh, but um, he was born with a rare condition. Uh, That means um, his skeleton is entirely comprised of cartilage, much like a shark's skeleton. Okay, so what? So a shark doesn't have bones. Yeah, um, sharks have a cartilaginous uh, skeleton. Skeletons made entirely of cartilage, which is a rubbery substance that, in humans who do have actual bones, comprises part of the ear, part of the nose, and I believe the ends of longer bones, like in the arms and legs. So all the little squishy bits that aren't muscle. Like your, like your nose. I'm wibbling my nose. You can't see it, but I am. Um, I'm imagining it. It's very exciting. Thank you. Yeah. So that is basically David Boreana's entire self. And not his entire self, no, because he's got skin and muscles and stuff. Just under the skin and muscles, he has cartilage, not bones. Okay. And so this is, is it's a rare condition, but it's a recognised condition. So we know that this is a thing that... Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's very, just... very rare, yes. It's not an alien. <laughs> not that we know of. I mean, there are, you know, uh, birth certificates and, you know, passports and you know, eyewitness accounts of him as a child. So we can be fairly certain he didn't come down in a spaceship with his cartilage skeleton. 
Well, again, we really appreciate how thorough the Munchausen Institute is in its research. Um, I'm sure you've got copies of his birth certificates and and that's great. And, you know, we really appreciate the fact that you're going the extra mile to make sure that David Burianas isn't, in fact, a fucking alien. So I read on IMDb that Burianas is... Is it Burianas or Burianas? It's an A at the end. Oh, well, there's a Z at the end. There's an A before the Z. Oh! <laughs> no, I know. Um... <laughs> I mean, I say Boreanas. Boreanas. I find it really hard to say. It's not a normal word, is it? Well, no, it's a name. <laughs> <laughs> I, knew, I knew I'd get stuck on this and I really didn't want to. Boreanas. I just call him Dave. Dave. So I read on IMDb that Dave is... No, I can't do that because I've not said that at some point before. So people are going to be like, who's Dave? I'll just say it. All right, hang on. <laughs> So, so I read on IMDb that Boreanaz is actually quite proud of this fact. So, do we know if it um, if it hinders his ability to get other roles? Well, he can't perform his own stunts because a cartilage doesn't repair in the same way as bone does. Of course. So, um, if he's injured, um, he'll be in a much worse shape than a, a normal stunt performer. Um, however, and it's not knowing if this is actually because of this particular fact. But um, uh, David Boreanaz is rumoured to be starring in the upcoming live-action Street Sharks movie. Oh, OK. In which I believe he is up for the role of a uh, Ripper or Ripster, the uh, the great white shark. Wow. Uh, Chris, is this a reference that I don't understand? You mean Street Sharks? Hmm. You never heard of Street Sharks? No. Really? Yeah, I thought I'd ask you in advance of this, but then I thought it'd be funny if I didn't. Um, Street Sharks was a um, it was a cartoon from the nineties. It was basically um, a ripoff of a uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, but instead of turtles, it was sharks. Oh, okay. So it's not like Sharky and George. Uh, no, it was like a bunch of teenagers. There's some evil scientists doing genetic experiments on sea life. Stuff happens, and now the teenagers are half shark. Oh, okay. And there's a ripster, the uh, great white shark, uh, streaks, who is a tiger shark, Ram, I think, who's a hammerhead shark. Why have I got no recollection of this? <laughs> that sounds awesome. And um, I think his name was like Great. Slamu, who was a, a whale shark. God, I wish I'd written this. This sounds brilliant. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, well, that's learning learning curve for me. Thank you, Chris. Well, that's really exciting that potentially it could be in that movie. Um, we all want to see that, and I'm sure we have a picture in our heads of how that will look. I'm sure I certainly do. I'm imagining an even more terrifying version of the recent Cats movie. Okay, I'm a, a, a little bit freaked out now but like yeah <laughs> i'll get it <laughs> i don't really want to think about it anymore because i definitely don't want to think about that um <laughs> so does this wait does this condition have a name is this is it is it like a is it like a recognized medical condition well as i said it's very rare only two people have ever been diagnosed with it and the first was actually David Boreanaz, so it is actually called Boreanaz syndrome. 
Cool. I mean, he has got the coolest name in show business, so that that's I'm sure he's very proud. So does this condition cause him any bother? I'm not sure about bother. I mean, as I said, um, he has to be careful. He didn't have any big falls or anything because his, his bones, so to speak, won't repair. Yeah, of course, yeah. But the advantage is he's much lighter than uh, another man of his uh, size and height because of his cartilage bones. I mean, he's a very good swimmer, apparently, which should um, put him in good stead for the uh, Street Sharks film. Of course, of course, yeah. Now, that would be really exciting. As far as I'm aware, he can't breathe underwater, though. No. Um, I don't know why we'd expect him to. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Just covering all the bases, Piper. <laughs> it's important. It's important that the Institute is thorough. So was he... Do you think he was jealous of the skeletons while working on the series Bones? I mean, perhaps, although he had the advantage there that they were dead and he's not. I don't think anyone can argue with that fact that they were dead, yes. Unless, of course, Boreanis is actually a vampire, like in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, in which case he is dead. Okay, that's it. You've been listening to Chickens Can't See Cubes with me, Piper Dawes. I can be found on Twitter at Piper Talks and Christopher Parr from the Munchausen Institute. Yes, I can be found on Twitter at Trilby Norton. Chris, so the Institute's joined the internet, but have you joined Twitter? No, I said last week that Kyle, RIT guy, was uh, setting up a Twitter account. It turns out he'd accidentally made a MySpace account. So uh, we're uh, back to the drawing board on that one, I'm afraid. Okay, well, not to worry. That's fine. Uh, to be honest, I didn't know, know that was possible. So well done, Kyle, on discovering <laughs> that. Um, <laughs> okay, so I'm sure the Institute will have, have that up and running soon. But we do have a Twitter for the podcast. So that's at Cubes. So feel free to add us on there and uh, send us your finger puppet shows. The more erotic, the better. Absolutely. So thanks, Chris. And... Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Okay, that's wonderful. Good. Um, I'm trying to wrap up this fact, and I don't really (laughs) know how. It just keeps Um, going. I'll just keep I'll keep making noises that sound like I'm ending this. Um, the end. The end. Music. Do, 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 do. What? <laughs> <laughs>